Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. Nobody's going to make sure your child gets what they need or succeeds besides you. And yeah, it's exhausting and it's going to take a toll on you, but the resources are there. You just have to be willing to put the time in and the effort, be the squeaky wheel, don't take no for an answer, and make sure your kid thrives in every way possible because you can do it. Welcome back to the Building Us Podcast. This is Eric Garcia, Certified Financial Planner and Financial Advisor. And as always, I am joined by Dr. Matt Morris, Couples Counselor and Family Therapist. Matt, what's happening? Hey, good morning, man. We are in the middle of a a short series on uh, parenting with special needs kids. Um, We've just finished a couple of different uh, topics, but we, we've, we finished the simple series on simple ways that you can invest in your relationship. And that seems to be a real hit. Um, but today we are talking with, uh, a family yeah, of uh, some parents of a special needs kid. Yeah. Two friends. One thing, one thing I always like to say, if, if, you know, as a financial advisor, we measure, um, net worth by bank accounts and currency and dollars and whatnot. But but what if we measured net worth based off the quality and just the quantity of relationships that we have? If like re- relationships were the measure of net worth, I want to be Bill Gates. And today I'm, I'm just excited to have one of those, I would say, um, just valuable relationships that, that I've been able to forge over the past year or so with, um, with my friend David. And I'm getting to meet his wife, Andrea. So David, Andrea, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves here real quick, and then we'll just hop into, uh, into y'all's story. I'm Andrea. I'm uh, a mom to Ethan, Caroline, uh, Grayson, and Landon. And um, I, I work full time and I work from home. Have two dogs and uh, excited to talk about uh, Ethan's diagnosis and the journey that we've been on. I'm David, and you guys are going to figure out why I'm so driven pretty quickly in this podcast because. You're getting to see, ready to see the woman behind the curtain. Your wife, not you. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> okay. Yes, there's only Andrew, one. We just did, Andrew, we just did an episode for, for Mother's Day. And one of the things that we talked about was how the pandemic put so much more, uh, it was much harder on moms than on, on dads. And here you are, you're working from home, four kids, two dogs. Two dogs. And one of those kids has, has you know special needs. So... I'm just curious, how has that, how is the pandemic coming out of the pandemic, being in the pandemic, how have you felt that impact you? Uh, So, you know, when it hit in March, um, everybody had to pivot. And I've always worked from home for almost 16 years. I've worked from home and schools shut down. You know, we thought they were going on spring break, but really they weren't going back. And uh, our kids go to aftercare. And for Ethan, that's really good because he thrives on that routine and they shut down. So uh, for a month, we had them home. And, 
you know, they've tried to pivot to e-learning and Caroline, uh, she did very well with that. And Ethan, uh, you know, not so much. He cognitively could not understand having to be in front of the computer, do occupational therapy, do speech, do these worksheets with him, turn it in. And at that time, too, for my own um, company that I work for, you know, we had pulled all of our field staff off, off of the road. Um, so we were pivoting as well. So my meeting times were literally from eight in the morning until six at night. And then I'd have like five minute breaks in between where I'd say like, hold on guys, I gotta, I gotta get Caroline set up. Or I'd look out my little window here and see like, okay, Ethan's right there with the hose and the bucket and everything looks okay there. And, you know, I'd have a sign outside the door that said, you know, keep out. And, you know, I'd see Ethan sometimes peek around the corner with his jug of Fabuloso because he can't push it down and turn. So he'd be holding it, shaking it like, and I'd be like, they, and my, my, all, everybody that I work with is great. They know. And I'd be off in the end. I'd be like this, turning it, like multitasking. And then I'm like, go, go, go away. Um, and then at night, you know, we'd sit down. We'd do the homework that we didn't do. Uh, but, you know, towards the end of that first month, um, I had to forego occupational therapy. And um, really, mostly I was sitting in front of the computer having the OT tell me what to do with Ethan. And it, it wasn't as productive or effective as it could be. I could take those same things that they were telling me to do. And I could do it at a time that I knew Ethan was going to be engaged. We were going to get something out of it as opposed to just doing it for the sake of completing a task. And I, I finally, you know, told the professionals that we were working with with Ethan to say this is too much. And one time I let them experience what I was dealing with trying to get him to the computer, more so that so that they could see this isn't just someone not wanting to do it. This struggle right here, even though he's on his meds right now, isn't worth it. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to anybody else that's here. We'll do what we can, what we know on our own time. And thankfully, um, so the first four or five weeks was really hard, but the, our aftercare, uh, which is also their summer camp, opened up for essential workers. And uh, my business is essential because we provide people communication devices all across the country. So engaging in that is critically important. And David's business is essential. So we were able to get two of those spots. And um, that was just I think it was it was life changing for me, but I think for the kids especially because Ethan has to have that routine and structure and not saying that our home isn't structured and we don't have routine, but when you throw working parents into the mix and especially from home, you know, in the morning we'd start and I'd say, here's the food you can eat during the day. It's in the fridge. This is your lunch. This is what it looks like. Um, so it was hard and I, I really feel for those parents that didn't have the opportunity for those kids to go back full time this year because thankfully our kids have been in school since August 31st and face to face five days a week and especially for Ethan um, it's it's been a lifesaver and game changing because of the strides he's made. Tell us a little bit about Ethan you know you talked about his 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 occupational therapy and whatnot. What, what is his diagnosis? What are his challenges? What are the struggles there? So Ethan uh, was born with the genesis of the corpus callosum. And that's basically a part of your brain. It's like a super highway. It connects the right and left hemisphere um, and it tells them, talks to each other. 
Um, so that is one of his diagnoses that we didn't learn until after birth, um, probably close to 14 months into the journey. Um, you know, we thought he was just, he was a healthy baby boy when he was born. Um, through this journey, not only did we learn that that was one of his diagnoses, and we didn't actually learn that until three months when he was out of the hospital because the original neurologist missed it on the MRI. It wasn't until we followed up with a pediatric neurologist who called us into his office and said, did they not tell you that your son is missing part of his brain when you were in the hospital a few months ago? And David wow. and I are like, what? It's a minor detail. Yeah. No. And he got on the phone and he got the scans over and he was concerned he had saw a brain bleed also. And he got the radiologist on the phone while we sat in his office waiting, looking at each other like, what, what is going on? We were thought we'd just coming in for a follow up. And uh, that, that's when we learned what he had. And, you know, when he had said and I thought about it every day since. I can't tell you what Ethan's going to be like when he's 10 years old, because what he has affects everybody so very differently. And it, it really does. Uh, through then, we've also learned he has low white brain matter, uh, periventricular leukomalacia. Um, he has mild cerebral palsy. Uh, he has severe ADHD. I think the thing that's difficult is the fact we can't control it, right? So you're talking about two very type A people who coexist in the same home, very successful in business by society standards. And we have a lot of control over what we do in our daily lives. And we were put into a position where we had control over absolutely nothing. Um, mm. I will never forget the first time that we had Ethan uh, go to the hospital because it was actually due to some gastro issues and he needed to have a scope. And we took him in for the scope in the hospital, planning on taking him home with us that day. And the doctor came out and said, we didn't see anything in the scope. We have every specialist that's necessary to do all kinds of testing on him. We want to go ahead and admit him. And so we weren't obviously planning on staying there. So I drove out to the house to get some clothes because both of us were going to be with him and make arrangements for the other kids to be cared for. Thankfully, we had people that were willing to, to help us with that. And as I'm retracing my steps back into the hospital, I realized that I'm pulling into the pediatric cancer unit. And that was something that hit me right between the eyes, because at that point, even though he doesn't have cancer, I'm thinking this is way more serious or could be way more serious than what we thought it was. When the diagnosis happened with the low white brain matter, the, the problem that you run into with with that is that you have to set a benchmark for where the white brain matter is. So with the MRIs that they did, they established where his levels were and you sit and wait for 18 months because it's one of two things. It's either going to stay the way that it is and you know, it'll affect him, but it's not going to be fatal or he's got progressive white brain disease. And when Andrea says, we don't know what he's going to be like at 10, that's kind of a, a soft way of saying, we didn't even know if he was going to be alive at 10 years old. So for 18 months we lived, not knowing if this little boy was even going to be around for his 10th birthday, which coincidentally was last weekend. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations to everybody, to Ethan, for sure. So, so agenesis, uh, he's got a, uh, underdeveloped, he's got underdeveloped brain tissue and this is congenital. It's not, he was born with a, uh, an underdeveloped, uh, white, uh, white brain matter. Is that right? Corpus callosum and the white brain matter. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
And neurogenesis of the corpus, your corpus callosum starts developing uh, around, I think it's, they say, 12 to 15 weeks of gestation. And um, like I said, we, uh, all the scans, all the ultrasounds, everything, no red flags, nothing. And unless you're looking for it with a higher level ultrasound, you're, um, you're not going to find it. So with Caroline, uh, we did want to have that higher level ultrasound just more so for the peace of mind. Did she have this also? And, um, you know, the really red flags for us were delayed milestones, um, the crawling, the low muscle tone, the standing up, um, and more and more specifically, uh, he had chronic vomiting and it would happen, probably start happening around he was seven or eight months and we'd say something's not right. Uh, it was always towards, towards the end and we joke, but, uh, you know, I, we became an expert, I think at catching it, it sounds gross, but <laughs> you saw the warning signs, you'd see the face and we would be at a restaurant. It's like, oh no, it's going to happen. And you're like, you'd hurry up and like, you know, try to hide it so that, you know, we could. She is like, hey, she is like <laughs> Doc Holiday with a linen napkin. Okay. That thing <laughs> is going to get drawn and used so quickly. One thing I want to interject though, and it adds a little bit of another layer of complexity, this whole dynamic, and that is the psychological piece from the parents. Because one of the things we found out over the course of this diagnosis was how the white, uh, the low white brain matter could have occurred. And the doctors basically came back and told us that it was probably transferred by virus through the umbilical cord while Andrea was pregnant. And so we are trying to retrace our steps and you know, figure, try, try and remember when she was sick and she was actually able to pinpoint it. And so from my perspective, I'm thinking now I've got another thing that I'm going to need to be very cognizant of as we go forward, because I don't need her operating with some level of guilt because she got sick and this happened to Ethan because it couldn't be further from the truth. But I mean, it, it, it's very interesting when you go through this process just to, to see, number one, just in the medical community, how many different opinions there are. And it makes it very difficult to wade through, you yeah. know, what, what you need to do, you know, what information is accurate, what information isn't accurate. And the one thing we did find was that we weren't going to be able to handle things in Tampa. And so we, we spent a significant amount of money uh, and finally got the diagnosis for Ethan by flying back and forth to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In Tampa, we have three pediatric neurologists. At CHOP, they have 50, and every single one of them has a very uh, distinct specialty. So we knew we were in the right place. Now, I take zero credit for any of this because Andrea really drove the process. And when I talk to people about Ethan, I tell them, you know, what I bring to the table is stubbornness and a backbone and an unwillingness to quit. But she brings so much more to the table. And if she wasn't in her role that she's in professionally, she wouldn't have had the foresight to know we were going to have to have that diagnosis three or four years down the road so he could get the resources that he needed when we got into the school system. And so, you know, I tell people all the time, he couldn't have been born to two better parents. He is exactly where he needs to be for those reasons. Let me just say that, uh, and this is fascinating to listen to, but Eric, I don't even think they need us. They can just, uh, they could, they can talk through the show today. Um, and, and, uh, they can handle the interview on, on, on their own. You, you all could interview yeah. each other. Uh, this is fascinating. So just to back up a little bit, it does sound like Ethan, maybe your third child. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So there were two, you had two Youngest children, of three boys, Caroline's Youngest? older brother. Ah, so you three boys and then a girl. Yes. And Caroline. 
So how, how did, how did it affect you all as a family and parents having this, having Ethan and his special needs third versus if he were first born, uh, you know, you, you, I imagine that you all, um, you know, had lots of experience by the time Ethan was born as parents, you had already cared for two children and, and probably expected that he would be born in the same way that they were born. And so what, in what sort of advantage was it having him third and what sort of disadvantage was it having him third? And then, then you had a fourth. And so what was that like? We needed the fourth man after him. <laughs> you know, we, we say, we tell people every day, Annie will agree with me on this. Caroline is our reward. Like she is the absolute most right. perfect child. She's extremely intelligent, outgoing. Like there's no doubt in my mind, whatever she wants to do in life, she is going to accomplish. And I just hope I'm around to see it. Um, but you know, with, with Ethan, it presents its own challenges. Um, just, just because there is a, a little bit of a distance in, in age between where he is and where his older brothers are. Um, that was an interesting dynamic to see. Now there's, there are some humorous aspects to that too. Uh, for example, when, uh, Ethan was trying to learn how to, how to crawl, he never really, he never really crawled, crawled, uh, when he should have, he soldier crawled. And when he did, he drug one leg behind him. Um, and immediately Annie's like, something's not right. And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. He'll figure it out. Da, 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 da. And she's like, no, something's not right. When Ethan would go to lift something with one hand, he would curl his other hand under. And if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't notice it. And Annie said, that's not right. That's something that he shouldn't be doing. And so when we went to the pediatrician, he said, oh no, he'll just grow out of it. He was, he was my pediatrician when I was a kid. So no wonder I'm programmed the way that I am. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, he's like, ah, he'll grow out of it. And she didn't take that as, as being status quo. And she continued to push and continued to push to get the diagnosis. But the humorous part about that is as he was soldier crawling around on one leg, the older boys thought it was awesome because they could make YouTube videos of playing army and war. And Ethan was always the wounded soldier <laughs> and and it's that's so true and, and one of the things i think maybe you're getting at matt too is the the um the emotional aspect that the family t this takes on everybody because yeah um you know it, it is hard and I, I i think um you know one of our sons um doesn't they have a love-hate relationship and we talk about ethan's challenges ethan doesn't understand he has challenges um he knows he takes medicine he knows all of that but we try to tell them and talk about when ethan does things you know why the consequences might be different and i think that's hard for them um you know for caroline i we try to do special things one-on-one -on -one because having a kid with special needs that's I hate to say it, but that for me, I'm, I'm always worried about what's going on with Ethan. It doesn't mean that I don't love any of the mm -hmm. others any differently, but I know even when we go out of town, he's the one I worry about every single yeah. moment of every day. And that takes a toll because people see that. So we try to be open and honest with what Ethan's challenges are and talk about it. And, you know, Caroline, like we joke and say, I mean, she really is a perfect child, but she gets it and she... I think it's that seven it, years old. She gets it, which is that, insane to think. And she has say, to do that, you know, which breaks your heart at the same time. You know, I, mommy, I know Ethan takes a lot more time and he needs a lot of your attention and, and that's okay. You love me too. And, you know, it's always so making sure, you know, we recognize what everybody else is as well, aside from 
Ethan and his diagnoses and and her her I think this environment for her has translated over to school and and you know teachers will say I had a parent conference and I said what do you think they're gonna say about you and she laughs she goes I think they're gonna say I'm perfect and I had the parent teacher <laughs> conference and she said she is probably the most well-rounded child I think I've ever met she gives so much compassion to kids she probably shouldn't she is so patient with kids who have behavioral challenges. She is just a good friend to everybody. It's just, and they know the background of Ethan because everybody knows Ethan at school. But to say that it's not exhausting and doesn't take a toll on a family, um, I'd be lying to say that. But you have to be able to communicate about it and not hide what their challenges are in a closet. Otherwise, you'll never move forward from it. Well, I can yeah, tell you reading. from my perspective, what I've chosen to do is not necessarily highlight the difference between or, or even bring up. Obviously, we communicate that Ethan has challenges, but my approach has been to make sure I'm consciously scheduling time specifically with all the other kids in the spirit of us having the conversation around the calendar. So, for example, Landon and Ethan have the greatest challenges. Ethan loves his older brothers. He looks up to them. He wants to be just like them. Grayson is 18. He's graduating high school in a week. And, you know, for him, it, it, they're really far removed. I mean, almost, you know, they're, they're, they're eight years in, in difference. But with Landon, they're a little bit closer. And so I, I have a, a standing breakfast date with Landon every single Wednesday at eight o'clock in the morning, specifically to just give him time it, as much as I possibly can. It's always going to be Wednesday. But I mean, it, it's, hey, dad, you know, can we watch a movie together tonight? Yep we'll watch a movie together tonight. And even if I'm so tired, cause I go to bed early, if I can't get through the whole thing, I'll at least watch half of it with him. And when he sees me nodding off, he'll say, okay, we can finish the other half tomorrow if you want or whatever else. But I think that, you know, for parents out there that have multiple kids that are, that are in a household with a child with special needs, it's not always about educating them because they, they can only comprehend so much depending on how old they are, but you can fix a lot of the potential issues just by focusing on making concentrated efforts to spend time with them and just let them unload and decompress and communicate with you. And it makes it much, much smoother. I can tell you that I've noticed in the times where I've had to travel or I've had an early meeting and I've not been able to have that, that Wednesday morning um, breakfast time with Landon, that his relationship with Ethan suffers for it from it. I mm. actually have plotted that on my calendar because when I see that there's blowups between the two of them, I can always go back and say he didn't get his time with me this week. And Landon's one of those guys that he he needs that affirmation. He's an insecure kid that's a freshman in high school, and he he needs to know that dad has his back, which I always do, but it's work, man. So what I would tell you is – by having Ethan as a special needs child, it's actually forced me to do a lot of things that I should be doing to be a good dad to my other kids. Hmm. You know, I've been reading a lot about, um, particularly coming out of the pandemic, about post-traumatic growth um, as opposed to post-traumatic stress, right? Post-traumatic growth and how you approach the struggle in the stressful situation, there could be a lot of growth. So to hear you, David, say, it's forced you to be more intentional with the other kids is, is really interesting. Can we pause here for a second and kind of, kind of, I, I get to see, you know, pictures and hear stories about Ethan just because of our relationship, David, could you, can we pause here for a second? Could y'all share just uh, contextualize for us? So Ethan is now 10. What's his life look like? What's he capable of doing? How, how's he function? Andrew, you talked a little bit earlier about you could peek out your window and see him hosing off the driveway. 
what what are his abilities or his lack of abilities right now? So Ethan, um, you know, he, when he is, when he wakes up in the morning, it is 90 to nothing. Um, it is fast and furious, like strap your seatbelt on because his medicine takes a little while to kick in. Um, and the whole house is sometimes in chaos if his morning does not go as we anticipate. Um, when he's on his meds during the day and thankfully in school as well, um, you know, he, he thrives pretty well. Um, he's 10, but cognitively he's probably six. Um, you know, he is in a regular ed classroom, but he is being served on the state Florida access standards. Um, we, he has an IEP, he uh, has an ESE specialist, and she is a godsend. Um, she is pretty much with him all day long. Uh, and that one-on-one -on -one, uh, has been a significant challenge to get, but this year he has just made significant gains for that. When we get him and take his, he wears patches, when we take them off, he comes off that roller coaster. So we don't always get the best version of Ethan because school gets that. Um, he thrives on routine and structure and uh, never fails when we pick him up. He wants to know we are going home and we are going nowhere else because going <laughs> anywhere Lord else. Knows if, yeah, if we're not going home, it's over. I mean, it is going to be nasty. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that if somebody is around Ethan for 15, 20 minutes, they wouldn't realize that he has you know, some, some issues neurologically, he, he could pass as being normal for 10 or 15, maybe even 20 minutes. If you're with him any longer than that, it's going to become glaringly obvious. And, it, and it's interesting to watch how he works because in certain things, he's very self-sufficient and in other things, he's not. He, uh, he likes to do things in short bursts. So we, we call him his stations, right? So he, one of his new things is, you know, he's probably, and I know that this term, is thrown around a lot. And I mean, no disrespect to anyone who has it. And it's certainly not an official diagnosis, but probably would be if we asked for it. He is very uh, obsessive compulsive, extremely. Um, you know, he does not want a single cigarette butt anywhere in the neighborhood. So he's got an electric car he drives around on. We bought him a trash grabber <laughs> and he picks all the cigarette butts up, which there's only one guy who walks around smoking cigarettes. But Ethan will put him in the back of his truck. He'll drive him over to the guy's driveway and dump him off and tell him he's a slob and he needs to quit doing that. It's a filthy habit. And then <laughs> how, does the the neighbor, how does the neighbor respond to that? Yeah, he they know they, they know, but. <laughs> He'll, he'll go from doing that to the next thing he's doing is um, out hitting baseballs off of his tee in the backyard. Or he may run in and he may play his PlayStation for a little while. But he doesn't do anything for any length of time. It's always 15 to 20 minute bursts. So we know where he we know what he, he's going to be doing one of three or four things. And, you know, one of the things that happened that was really, to be honest with you, probably one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever witnessed in my life was when our golden retriever passed away last year, because that was Ethan's best friend. And every day Ethan would come home and boom, 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 he's hitting balls off the tee and he would go for, you know, working through his stations. It would be in, in the 15 to 20 minute bursts, but three or four hours, he would be hitting balls and Bentley would go break, retrieve them and bring them back. And when Bentley passed away, Ethan never played baseball again. And then we went out and we got uh, Tanner. And the day that we brought Tanner home, Ethan went out and started hitting off the tee. Hmm. 
Yeah, that That's was a, that was excruciating. And one of the one of the other stations, you know, for him is um, part of his obsessive compulsive is cleaning. Um, he loves to clean. He has an obsession with Fabuloso, um, and he has. We've got, I've got three jugs in my driveway right now. He's got four wash buckets. You know, most kids have big birthday requests. He got a wash bucket with sponges and spray bottles and fabuloso yeah. from friends. And that makes him happy. He's always wanting to do a car wash. He'll come home and he'll say, would you, would you like me to wash your car? Do you think that would be helpful? And, you know, you try to isolate it to the tires because he tends to have one motion. So only that one area is getting clean, just like my windows. <laughs> But um, he does. He he operates in stations, and for him, that's his structured activities, and he feels in control. And that um, when Ethan feels like he's in control and making the decisions of what he's doing, um, his demeanor is completely different. So it sounds like he can. Ethan is can do a lot. I mean, he's he's. Uh... Tremendously interested in things, tremendously talented at some things. He's um, he um, can do a lot and has a lot of interest. Um, that has caused it, us a lot of problems with the school system because his diagnosis from a social aspect. Um, and I'll let Andrea speak to it because it's certainly her field of expertise with what she does at work. But as we've been having to go in front of the school board and deal with forcing the school system to deliver on the things that are in the IEP and even knowing how to mm -hmm. structure the IEP correctly from the beginning, you know, I, I, I can take, again, zero credit for that. Now, if I need to get into a bare knuckle fight with somebody to make sure they do what they're supposed to do, then I'll step in. But she has done all of that. And, and I couldn't be more thankful for having her do that. But I do think that for your audience, it's important for people to hear some of what that struggle looks like, because it goes back yeah. to what I said. If you're around Ethan when he's on his medicine and you're around him in short bursts, he can give you the appearance that there's not really much wrong with him. And that is how people perceive it. And because of how he tests from his, his social acclimation and everything else. Look, he walks into school. He's given high fives. People, it's like he's the mayor of the elementary school. We had him down in Key West over spring break. He's walking down Duval Street, shaking hands and kissing babies with complete strangers. Now, he did short circuit when he saw the number of cigarette butts that were in the gutters of Duval Street. But um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, I, I do want Annie to talk to that because I think it's a really important thing for parents with special needs kids to hear. Because listen, people, the IEP process is not simple. You know, it's it, it, it sounds like maybe, you know, you can go in and you can get it set up and that people are just going to follow the rules. But it is a constant battle. Ethan would be nowhere near as advanced as he is, which he's not advanced, but from where he could be if it wasn't for Annie just continuously pushing that envelope and just making sure that people are executing on their promises. So as, Annie, a, as a parent, Andrew. you have to get really you have to get really um, skilled at. Um, organizing community action, protesting at times and advocating for your kid. And it sounds like that's what you've had to do as, as parents for Ethan with the school. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Eric? Well, I was just going to say on that, on that point is that there's this, I guess this expectation that the school system or these institutions are going to care. I'm not saying they don't care, but they're going to advocate for our kids with special needs but at the end of the day, really, it's 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 you as the parent who's going to have to step in. 
And what scares the what scares me to death is the number of kids out there that don't have the parental advocates, whether it's because they don't understand they need to do it or they're just disinterested. It's, it's insane to think there are that many kids going without people fighting for them. But when you look at the amount of effort that has to go into that, it becomes readily apparent that it's probably not possible for a lot of parents without quitting mm -hmm. a job for one of the two of them or, or whatever else. So I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. I want to I want to put a signpost here really quick for, for all of our listeners, because I think this is this is so important. Um, we've got a child with, with severe food allergies, so, uh, different, different, different need situation, but very similar from a, from a standpoint of advocacy and planning. And I think right? that, yeah. What was that, David? I said, and planning, like you can't oh, just go oh to a restaurant. You can't oh, just no. go and uh, cook yeah. a meal. I mean, it requires conscious effort for you to plan literally everything, everything. around those allergies. And yeah. I know that because we've talked. Yeah. So like my, my, I guess my hope in this little series here is that, for those parents who don't deal with a special needs situation, you see a kid like Ethan, you see a, a, a kid with a food allergy, and you just it's you can't possibly understand what's going on. It's just impossible. You you haven't lived it. It's in its experience that you just don't understand the, the challenges. But listening to the people who are experiencing it, like I know Andrea, you mentioned something along the lines of when, when parents might see or, or people might see in public Ethan short circuiting, they might think, Oh, look at this kid, he's just he's just a brat. Like people don't know people's stories. No, and I, so and I my, my hope is that as we're listening here, people who don't have special needs are more sympathetic or more compassionate or more aware of these challenges and more and, and as a result, they listen. So when these when when you hear somebody advocating Golly, you don't have to fight as hard because people are listening. Like, oh, you know what? I, I, I don't understand, but. And I always say that don't judge a book by its cover. You know, you never know what somebody's dealing with. And, you know, one of the things I, I think, especially for parents with special needs, and Matt had said it, and I, I'm a firm believer in this, nobody is going to advocate to make sure your kid gets what you need other than yourself. Yeah. And if you believe in something and you want change, you have to be that driving force. And we started that very young. And it's, I remember saying, you know, in my, my line of work, um, when I was a, a field consultant, I, I remember being in those meetings, parents asking me to go to the IEPs to, to just hear the goals and, and what they should be looking for. And I remember back then thinking, my gosh, how hard their world must be and the challenges that they have, never thinking that I'd be a member of the club nobody really wants to get invited to, right? But at a very early age, when he was in early intervention, getting ready to go into kindergarten, we remember battling the school and hiring a private advocate to come with us. And, you know, I thought to myself, he's in kindergarten, we're already facing these challenges. And the hard part was because you look at Ethan and he's very social, you know, um, he's just, he's a good kid. He's delayed in learning. And the state of Florida, developmental delay drops off after age five. Um, he's not autistic, though um, there are some autistic tendencies. Um, so really having that diagnosis that fell into other health impaired was important. And as he started going through first grade, second grade, you know, we kept him back. So he's in third grade right now. Uh, every person who met him said he needs one-on-one. -on -one. He needs somebody with him. And, you know, it, uh, everybody at the school knows me. Um, it, and it's that constant piece of being an advocate for your kid is really a full-time job. 
And I talk to other friends who have kids with special needs and try to help them drive what they need to be doing. And nobody wants to be that mom. Everybody knows at the school, but I say, if it gets my kid what they need, I will be that mom. And I am that mom and I'm okay with that. Um, and I think one of the things is you have to be willing to not take no for an answer. You have to be driven to find other solutions. And I spend every waking moment, extra moment that I have on social media in these, if it's an ADHD support group, an IEP support group, uh, babies born in 2011 with the genesis of the corpus callosum, the genesis of the core, every group I can just to make sure I'm staying on top of, are there other things we could be doing for Ethan? And it was finally two years ago, um, you know, his packet went downtown. They have a whole team of professionals. They wanted to put him in IND, which is Intellectuals with Disabilities. And I've been in those classrooms before, and, and David and I are not naive to say our, our child's not different. He is, and we're okay with that. We recognize that. Um, and I, I went and toured those classrooms that Ethan would potentially, that was on the table to be placed in. And um, we went back to the meeting and there were 13 people there and we were gonna evaluate where his packet ended up downtown. And it was literally, you go around the table and the uh, head district officer said, you know, do we all agree based off of Ethan's IEQ, he qualifies for IND. Everyone's like, yes, 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 yes. Do we all agree based off of Ethan's social scores, he qualified for XYZ? No, no, no. And it constantly going around. I remember sitting there and I said, what is the district's recommendation? They said, the district's recommendation is that Ethan is served on state access standards in a regular ed classroom with support. And that's when we further define, okay, what does that support look like? Because if you look at a historical perspective of any feedback from any teacher, he needs a one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, that constant staying on top where they say, we know he needs that, but, you know, unfortunately, I know you don't want to hear this, we're losing another unit. We're losing another resource. We're losing X, Y, Z. We ended up getting Ethan uh, more support. And again, he's in a place where he needs to be now, but it hasn't come without um, so much work to make sure you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's. And I remember at the beginning of this year, we're supposed to review his IEP two weeks into the school year, 30 days into the school year, nothing's happened. So I reach out, I schedule that meeting, I'm on Zoom with everybody and the specialist tells me, I know Mrs. Carruthers, you don't wanna hear this, but we lost another unit this year. And I said, stop right there because I don't wanna hear that. I understand the struggles where you're coming from, but I'm gonna tell you as a parent to Ethan and everybody who knows him, it's not okay with me. I've called downtown and I'm not getting responses. And I said, and I appreciate that. So in true transparency, I'm gonna let you know what my next steps are. When we get off this phone, I'm sending an email to the superintendent and the lead ESC for area five. And you may take no for an answer, but I can promise you I'm not taking no for an answer. And it's not a lack of your support or your efforts, but I'm going to make sure my son gets what he needs because we are not going to start this school year out the way we did the past two years. And I did. And I got Area 5 on the phone and we talked and she went out there, she did a site visit. And like they had said, I don't know how you got her to come out here. We, we called and I said, well, you know, I appreciate that. But apparently you didn't make more than one phone call. And sure enough, I mean, he, he has, 
he's in such an amazing place this year. And now we're thinking about that transition for next year, right? Because every year that ESE specialist changes. They have to learn Ethan all over again. And it's exhausting. And we started those advocacy efforts probably around Christmas time to say, you have control over whether or not Ethan gets that same specialist who's still going to be here next year. And um, she is going to stay with him next year. And she is a godsend for our family. And he mm. just absolutely adores being at school because of the support that he gets. And I think one of the important things for families to realize or really think about, it's exhausting. It's life-sucking. It really is. But if you want it bad enough, the squeaky wheel gets hard. And you have to keep pushing that envelope if you want change for your kid, because nobody else out there is going to do it for you. It is a full-time job. Yeah, I think the biggest struggle for me coming from the business world is the bureaucracy that's involved with all of this stuff. It is absolutely absurd. And they know that, right? They know that it's a bureaucracy and they hide behind that and they use it to their advantage as much as they can. And, you know, I, I can remember being in a meeting one time when one of the ladies got a little snooty and said, you know, maybe you should just run for the school board. And I said, you need to be careful what you wish for, you know, it, it, because that's the last thing they want. You know, you, you it, it just blows my yeah. mind. That's not a challenge you want to give David. It, you know, I'm struck just by uh, at this phase of your life, how much advocacy you have to do around Ethan's schooling. And maybe, you know, seven or eight years ago, it was you were advocating about something different, maybe his correct diagnosis or the medical care that he was getting at two and three and, and, and making sure that medical professionals really paid attention to him and his issues. But now in, in, in this phase of his life, it's about school and, and can, can the schools deliver what they can promise? They can, they can say he qualifies for these services, but we got to make sure they do it. And, and maybe 10 years from now, you'll be focused on a different advocacy area. Where can he work? Um, what college can he go to? Those issues. Um, what sort of medical services will he need then? But right now, you know, you're, you're almost singularly focused on school. And, and, um, and I think that's an important message to parents of special needs kids is that it's all, the landscape's always changing, but it's always something. You know, I think it would be interesting to interview other special needs parents to find out how long it took for them to sort through the fact this is the hand they've been dealt. Then how long did it take for them to accept that? And what was the roadmap going forward? So for us, you know, I don't I don't think that there was I wouldn't call it a grieving process. We don't feel sorry for ourselves because we have a special needs kid. And Ethan doesn't know the difference anyhow. I mean, you know, I've taught when on my podcast, when Chris Paradiso came on, he has a sister with some challenges and his his com his comments were she lives in a much better world than the rest of us. You know, I want to live where she lives. And Ethan, I think, is very much the same way. He's so naive to so many things that in his world, if as long as his world is the way he wants it, it's absolutely perfect. And we we laugh and we joke about it because we know he's not going to ever be able to be on his own. That that is a 100 percent truth. And so anytime we talk about, well, you know, when we retire, you know, us and Ethan are going to have to go do this or we're going to go yeah. do that. But, you know, we don't we don't feel sorry for ourselves. We're not angry about that. We embrace it and, and we make the best of the situation that we have. And I mean, I don't I don't think there's ever a day that I've resented the fact that 
we have Ethan. I'm not going to tell you that we don't get frustrated, okay? Because he is very, very frustrating to deal with. And, you know, for as, as hard as I run, my fuse is much shorter than Andrea's is. And so usually she's looking at me from the other side of the room, you know, helping me practice breathing exercises so that my my temper doesn't get out of control and my heart rate goes up. But I mean, you know, truthfully, it, it, it just, I, I would be interested to hear how other people deal with the same things. Because one thing that I found, and, and Annie is extremely re resourceful with this stuff, um, she's in a multitude of Facebook groups for families who have similar um, diagnoses with the agenesis of the corpus callosum and everything else. And we'll lay in bed at night. She's on her laptop reading in these groups and they even have it. I don't, you can speak to this Andrea, but um, you know, they haven't even, even broken down into like the age of these kids. And she would be talking about these things that these families are going through. And I'm like, this is Ethan. Like, this is insane. These people are dealing with exactly what we're dealing with right now. And I think that parents out there, if you want to have advocacy, part of that is getting education. And the other part of it is getting support. Yeah. Don't, community. Yeah, community, don't fine. discount the value yeah. of having a social community that you can be a part of, of people that are going through the same struggles. It's it's no different than our professional careers. If you want to make yourself better, you got to hang out with people that are going to challenge you, that understand the direction you're going in, and that have the competency to help you become better by learning from their experiences in addition to you teaching them from yours. And it makes everybody better. There's so many negative aspects about social media, but that is one that I would tell you mm -hmm. is a huge positive because it's helped us understand a lot of what we're going through but also helps us understand what we might be getting into because of people that are that are dealing with children that are older it's a good word right you there. know i'm I gonna say question. another thing oh. that i think is really important for your listeners uh you know we we laugh and say we go away by ourselves without the kids you know three times a year mm -hmm. um but we run seven days a week. Um, we don't relax. We go nonstop and hard because the weekends are even busier, you know, with Ethan making sure he's entertained and he's got his stuff he's doing. And mental health is huge. Um, having a kid with special needs is exhausting. And, you know, encourage people to find ways to take care of themselves. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of them. And for us, you know, uh, whether it's family or we also have a, a nanny that comes up that we've known for 23 years that the Ethan, she knows Ethan, she knows his routine. That's a saving grace for us. Key West is our saving grace because we're only an hour away on an airplane. But being able to get away for just two or three days without the kids you know, it is really important because it allows us that time to regroup and come back better than we were before. And it doesn't have to be a trip. It could be the gym. It could be, you know, adult coloring books, you know, whatever it is, you have to find something. Wait a minute. Hold on. Time out. We do not do adult coloring books. <laughs> not color me. Books. <laughs> but there are people David, that find that therapeutic <laughs> and that's okay. But finding something for yourself that you know, brings you that peace and that uh, ability to be able to relax and forget about it, even just for a little bit, is significantly important. And a lot of people, I don't I think, think do that. Can yeah, I think Matt can probably confirm this. I mean, it, there, there are a lot of marital problems that can stem from having a child with special needs if you don't take the time to focus on yourself and focus on your marriage and your own mental health. Yeah, you, you guys are the 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 backbone of this. You are the chief executives of this system. 
and and if if the two of you aren't connected and and enjoying each other and feeling supported by each other ethan suffers his care, his care suffers i mean the, the fact is you all have to rely upon each other in different ways at different seasons of life but you have to rely on, upon each other and you have to like each other and to like each other you probably do need to spend some time together on the beach or adult coloring or whatever you do <laughs> i've got a um, i've got a question about the finances involved in, in raising um you know, Ethan. So you, you, you find out about this diagnosis, David. I know that you spent a lot of times on planes back and forth. How, how do I spent zero families... by the way, Annie did all of it. Annie did all of it. So I stayed behind with everybody else. Kind of a backwards you... thing, isn't it? I don't know. Is it what's forwards? I don't know. I, I became the stay at home mom with the other kids and she was traveling. So not that I, not that I resent that, but I mean, it was interesting. She, she had the ability to get up there. Her family is up in that general area. Anyhow, so they were able to go stay with family and all of that. But go ahead, man. So, no, just how, how do you, how do you finance that? Cause it's expensive. I, I got to imagine how do families with resources and families without resources, how, how do you manage that? You know, Eric, you also have to throw in the fact that somebody started a scratch insurance agency and a bunch of other stuff right in the middle of all this going on. So the stresses weren't necessarily just left to the devices of Ethan. Um, you know, the, the financial, thankfully, um, you know, again, Annie, Annie has, I, I say this all the time. I think that a lot of people perceive me to be successful. I don't know that I will ever perceive that of myself. Um, but I couldn't do anything or accomplish anywhere near what I have been able to accomplish without her belief in me and her drive to, uh, just let me know that she had my back. And so for us, the finances have never been an issue. Um, I'm of the mindset that if we need, you know, if we need a hundred thousand dollars for something, I'm going to figure out a way to come up with a hundred thousand dollars without having to go borrow money from somebody like within a week. And that, you know, that that's where I come in, come into the picture. I can figure out how I can use my skill set or my intellectual capital or, or some of the other things that I have to be able to generate income to finance some of that. And so, um, you know, I was part of a scratch agency uh, eight years ago or I'm sorry. So, going so back for, for our listeners, a scratch, a scratch agency, you started from scratch with nothing, just you and a Absolutely computer and a nothing. pen. The, okay. In the in the cash in my pocket, which was not very much, because I had been bled dry in the in the last one. So, um, you know, we started a business from scratch right in the middle of this, and and my motivation was I had to be successful for him. So, in, in a weird way, his diagnosis helped me to stay focused and driven to build the agency and do the things I needed to do. And so we've not had, you know, we haven't had an issue from the financial perspective, but I can tell you, man, we spent over six figures out of pocket to get his diagnosis in Philadelphia. It wasn't, not everything's covered by insurance. And so yeah. I, I can understand why families out there who maybe not have the network and the resources and the, and the things that I, I have access to would struggle with that. And, and I don't know what they do. I, I really don't. For me, I've always just been, if I don't have a way to pay for something or do something, I'm just going to put my head down and work hard and make it happen. And, you know, that's just a gift that I've been given that I've learned, learned how to use over the years. But, you know, I can only imagine the, the amount of stress that it would be, uh, would be involved if you didn't have that ability. And I'll say one of the things early on um, with Ethan's diagnosis is, um, in the state of Florida, there there is a health insurance plan he would have qualified for because of his diagnosis. But I'll never forget sitting there in the social work 
or to asking me, you know, do I have a job and what do I do and what is my income? Basically saying, um, unless you guys both probably lose your jobs or leave, you're not going to be eligible for the medical services that he could have covered. So it's like you're then sitting back and thinking like, okay, well, I love what I do. I, I don't I want to be in that situation either. Um, and like David said, you know, trying to find a way to be able to make it work, not saying that it wasn't cheap at all because it wasn't and his medicines aren't cheap. And, you know, just really, I think, being resourceful and finding a way. There are grants out there. There are we, we qualify for nothing. Um, but I'll never forget uh, becoming emotional when two years ago, Ethan had to go to the dentist and, you know, most dental plans aren't fabulous. And um he doesn't have the best teeth and trying to get him to teeth brush, you would think I was trying to do surgery on his kidney or something. And they gave me the estimate because of everything he needed. And it was going to be, I think, $2,400 or something like that. And I'm like, what? And so she said, you know, well, what's this diagnosis? And I'm like, we're not going to qualify for anything. And there's a group uh, uh, called Healthy Smiles that helps kids with disabilities. And I put all the paperwork together. I faxed every report that we had. And I'll never forget getting that phone call from the dental office and saying they approved him and just becoming emotional because we qualify for nothing that for one time we get a little bit of a break and he benefits from it. Um, you know, so I tell families too, and they, it, it's a lot of work. It's Google, it's researching, you know, grants and depending what you're looking for, for your child, you know, if it's an adaptive bike cause they need it, or there are those grants and charities that are out there. You have to be willing to put the work in to find out where they are because there is not one central database that you can plug in your kid's diagnosis and a magic list magically pops up. Yeah, it's a hustle. You got to hustle. I think. Yeah. That, I, think well, I, that think, seems... I think there's a, there's a dynamic that I, I think I want everybody to understand. You know, a lot of people could look at this as an excuse. A lot of people could look at this as a distraction, um, and, and a reason why they can't achieve everything they ever wanted to achieve, and then subconsciously maybe start to place blame on on the, the situation that they're in. Our situation's much different. I don't think that we would have been able to do anything anywhere near what we've been able to accomplish in our lives personally or professionally if we didn't have Ethan. He's not an excuse. He's a motivator. And anytime I'm ready to go out and throw in the towel on something, all I have to do is look out at him and see, there he is. He's been standing there scrubbing that wheel well for like 15 minutes. That joker is not giving up until every ounce of dirt is off of it. I'm like, what am I doing, man? Here's a kid who has every excuse in the world not to function, not to be able to accomplish things and achieve them. And I have the ability to do pretty much whatever I want as long as I'm willing to work for it. He teaches me a new lesson every single day. And I think that parents need to be open to um, learning that. And I think you need to be transparent with your kids about the fact they can teach you things too. I mean, you don't have to be know-it-alls. We were at dinner last night and, and I mean, like crazy story, but we went to a sushi joint and they, we, we asked for the, uh, the cheater chopsticks for Caroline and they brought a regular thing of chopsticks and this little plastic piece that you have to put together to make it work. And he tried to put it together didn't work. I tried to put it together. Didn't work. Caroline says, let me see those chopsticks. I can make that work for you. And so <laughs> we handed them over to her and like in literally two seconds, she puts the whole thing together. They work and said, see, I told you. And, and, and my immediate response was, you know what? I'm not too proud to tell you. You just taught me something. I said, that's insane that you did that that quick. And we laugh all the time because 
she is just so incredibly uh, crazy. But, um, you know, parents parents need to be, you know, not necessarily 100 percent authoritarian all the time, in my opinion. I mean, you need to let your kids know you learn from them as much as they learn from you. For That's for good. sure. For sure. Yeah. That is a, a, a great reminder. And, and even you know, we can learn from all of our kids and our kids that have unique and different and special needs. All of our kids have needs and some of our kids have special needs. And um, I, I, I love that story. What will, as we're, as we're wrapping up for today, you guys have said so much, I could dig into all of this much at a much deeper level. But as we're wrapping up today, what, what is Ethan into today? What will he, how will he find joy this weekend? What will he do to just have a, a great weekend? He better go straight home from school. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's where it starts. And I'll let Annie take the rest of it and close it out. He, he will uh, pull all of his cleaning supplies into the driveway. He will ask me to move my car out of the driveway so he can have basketball as one of his stations. He will pull his truck into the driveway. He will unravel the hose. Um, yeah. And he will go between cleaning things. We have the cleanest sidewalk and driveway on the block um and he will do that he will hope we're doing yard work this weekend because he has his own blower and he likes to follow david and blow the grass even if it's not the right way and he'll take his blower around the neighborhood and he will blow the neighbor's sidewalks whether they need it or not uh, that's right people i bought my kid a blower that's right yeah. yes me too me too my kid is a, a fan of the blower and that, that's what he'll do. He'll bounce between all of that and he'll come in the pool uh, on his own time and he'll go into his room and he'll play a little Fortnite or baseball, but not for long periods of time. And then he'll bounce back out again to the to the truck and ride his bike. One of the things about Ethan that's so unique and, and also extremely humorous to me is the fact that if you buy a pack of Oreo cookies, he won't eat an entire cookie. Ethan will take a cookie out, take a bite of it, put it back in the container. And then the yeah. next time he wants a bite, he'll go get another one, take a bite out of it. That drives Landon absolutely nuts. But Ethan always has a bunch of half-eaten cookies, so he ends up eating the whole pack himself because he doesn't have to share because nobody wants to eat after him. It's brilliant. <laughs> It is good it's strategy. strategy. Well, and I think you know one thing we didn't touch on, and, and we could go for hours on this, but I mean, there are things Ethan does that are insane. Like to watch him on the PlayStation, he can operate that. I don't have enough hands and feet to play video games anymore because there's so many buttons on the controllers. To watch that kid navigate, like we have to have very like hardcore firewall parental controls on everything because he can go through a computer and do whatever he needs to do in that computer. And it, ca it, it caught me completely off guard. About a month ago, we woke up one morning and I looked in the Amazon cart and there was 5,300 and something dollars worth of stuff in our cart. And apparently he was building his own law enforcement brigade because he had 27 electric police cars, like five electric police motorcycles, a bunch of uniforms. And I mean, I guess he was fed up with the cigarette butts but that, that week, week because he was bringing in his boys and they were going to clean house in the neighborhood. That, but that's why I couldn't get a police yes. uniform on Amazon. And so, yeah. And so we Annie deleted the Amazon app from her phone. Well, that little joker figured out how to get to it through the web browser. And then we, 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 we kept him from being able to do that. Then he figured out how to access Amazon by using Alexa and the voice control through the TV. So, I mean, oh, we're man. constantly having to play defense on our checking account against this kid. Yeah. I like That's it. That's awesome. 
Man, we could we could go on forever and tell stories. One, one thing I will say, uh, I've never met Ethan in person, but he's got a fantastic smile. I don't think I've seen a picture of him where he's not smiling. I'll get you one. <laughs> I'm sure you have them. I'm sure you have them. Deviate, Andrea, deviate the route after school, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, throw a cigarette butt in your driveway. Does Fabul also clean cars well? Like that is that is that a thing? Um, it does kill your grass and give it a chemical burn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> picture that doing well for uh for cars. Andrea, Lee, why don't you I mean you said so much like as Matt said, is there anything that you want to leave us with that, that would just kind of that would wrap it all up? Anything um super insightful? I'm putting you on the spot. And 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 you all can come back anytime and give us updates. We would love to check in with you in a, in a year and see how he's doing. How you all how your whole family's doing. Oh, we'd love that. Um, you know, I, I think it's just for parents to really um learn not to take no for an answer. Um, along our journey with Ethan, um, even like he said, being there with the doc, his pediatrician, um, him and I bumped heads. He didn't want to give me the physical therapy referral and he basically gave it to me to make me happy. Um, and I think that was the last time we saw him, but not <laughs> taking no for an answer because nobody is going to make sure your child, um, not saying that there's not some great professionals along the way that absolutely in a school will advocate for you. Like I said, his specialist now is a huge advocate for her, but he's for him, but you still have to have your hat on that nobody's going to make yeah. sure your child gets what they need or succeeds besides you. And yeah, it's exhausting and it's going to take a toll on you, but the resources are there. You just have to be willing to put the time in and the effort, be the squeaky wheel. Don't take no for an answer and make sure your kid thrives in every way possible because you can do it. I'm basically married to the Aaron Brockovich of special needs children. <laughs> That's awesome, David. Andrea, we and this this was this was a, a fun hour just to just to hang out and chat with y'all. Andrea, finally get a chance to meet you. I think this is the podcast where I've used the least amount of words. If you haven't noticed, David is a uh, podcast host, and I think he effectively uh, took over the podcast. So, David, appreciate that, man. Y'all are an inspiration. You know, Matt and I always say invest yes. in your relationships, and what y'all are doing by investing in your family, the intentionality, not just with Ethan, but with the other kids, with the businesses, with your work. Um, it is inspirational. So thank you all for, for being a part of the Building Us podcast and teaching us how to invest in our relationships. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated. 